Okay, so here we are. Welcome to another episode of uh, Daily Scrapping. Bruce, thank you for being here with us. Uh, I really appreciate that you are making time for us. So how's everything going? Oh, it's going well. It's going well. Uh, life is good in the, in the semi-retired age. Uh, after many years of working in, in the industry, uh, I'm been doing a lot more of the consulting and helping people right. as I go along. So now that you are talking about that you are semi-retired, but I think you are very active, right? You're pretty active because the knowledge that you have is very, let's say, a lot of companies need that to understand how to move forward in so many directions. What I understand in, um, is your experience is more on the environmental side, right? So I want to understand a little bit better about your background. How was your trip? Okay on this industry, when you start, why you're starting the aluminum industry. So I just want to know about okay. you. Okay. Yeah, actually, uh, I, uh, I started, uh, you know, I started as a youngster. I, I basically went and got an engineering degree at a Colorado school of mines. Um, and that was uh, quite a few years ago. And two years ago, just two years ago. <laughs> Had in the seventies, <laughs> so uh, I had lo I had lots of. Uh, fortunately, uh, that was one of the reasons why I went into that um, business. Uh, I wanted to uh, to be working with a lot of metals processes, and I had a lot of opportunities. Um, I could have done copper. I had a couple of opportunities on on nickel and and aluminum was one oh, of really? my opportunities, and I ended up starting with a company by the name of Alcoa in the in the mid late 70s and that's where I met my other colleague Dave Roth at right. uh, one of the plants in Indiana um so I got to say I did uh, 20 22 years with and and Alcoa is a primary aluminum business um so they smelt the aluminum from the from the uh, powder uh, aluminum powder right um, I did not do any of the mining portions part of it, but I did a lot of the melting side, and then I did a lot of the uh, the melting and the casting side of some of their products. Okay. Um, went to various plants um, in Indiana, New York, and uh, North Carolina, and literally in the nineteen mid nineteen nineties, there was a uh, um, what happened to aluminum, I mean, what happened to steel happened to aluminum. Uh, shut down of a lot of aluminum plants in the U.S. Why? Um, cheaper to go over. And aluminum, primary aluminum, um, you it, it, transporting, you're transporting a lot of um dirt <laughs> right um, yeah. you know or you know alumina or dirt or powder or you're it's a very very hard to transport and also requires a lot of energy so they would go yeah. to more inner places that had cheaper energy where they could have more hydro or more locations and so a lot of that happened and the u.s power got more expensive right and so, for how long you've been so working in that business, company that part of the business started going away Okay. Um, and people started ex 
exporting, you know, like they start building their plants in other international locations. Yeah. Um, at that point in time, I, I literally moved over to what they call the recycling industry, aluminum recycling industry, and worked for several different companies there. Um, one of which so you, was you, you went from the primary to the secondaries. Correct. Um, basically, in um, in 1996, 1997. Got it. And how was that transition? Was easy, or was the industry that was like just growing and starting? In a certain point, because at the at the end, at the beginning, was everything primary, right? But once you have a lot of aluminum into the market, you start seeing, okay, we can do the recycling process here. That's a good point. Yeah. So what was happening is actually the recycling industry or the secondary aluminum industry was growing quite a bit in the U.S. because our mine was the aluminum scrap that was coming out of out of the various plants that were still here in the right. manufacturing plants. And they were still making product here in the United States. So now we had a, so that part of the industry was actually growing versus right. the primary industry was kind of, the primary industry was growing internationally, but it was shrinking in the U.S. Got it. And so I, the transition uh, was actually pretty, pretty easy. Uh, it was, uh, some of the processes and some of the products were very similar. Um, you had to learn um, more blending and melting techniques. Uh, the energy, most of these plants were smaller plants, which was mm -hmm. kind of more fun. You know, these are 50 to a 200 person plant versus big smelters are, you know, 500 to right. 3,000 person plants. Okay, right. so the, you know, so going to this back to the small plant is fun. Um, the problem is, is uh, there's a lot of different technologies out there. Um, we tended to have older technologies. The, the recycling technology was older uh, and we did not have to be as strong as perhaps the European technologies because European technologies were driven by their waste control, uh, energy, and we we had a we had cheaper energy than and we have uh, actually we're pretty lucky we have, we have lots of landfill activity we have a lot of things that European that folks is changing are. right now right is 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 going into a different direction because I'm working with European technology and I think Europe is a little bit different on the environmental side but right now United States is getting more and more into that direction right it's a little bit different but yes, it's getting there that's uh, that's a good lead in um so i would say you know like i worked in the recycling industry um you know let's call it the early 2000s right okay so in the early 2000s uh there was not as much driven on the environmental side although the air compliance side was was starting to get stronger because we just had new regulations and we had to um, learn about our process that we things that we did not know before. Right. Okay. How many years was that? How many years ago? Huh? How many years so ago? The, everything the, the started stronger changing? air compliance requirements started in the late nineties. Okay. okay. And the way the US EPA works is 
Um, they worked with a couple of large companies and they, um, they started writing some of the regulations together with some of the large companies. So based on some data, mm-hmm. but you know, it takes, and a lot of it was based on, uh, air testing data of plant, plant, plant startups and that kind of stuff. And so, um, as plants started running, uh, the best way I can call it dirtier and dirtier scrap, there were more, um, there are more variables that we had to control. Right. Right. So how, how, because I, I was thinking, okay, this is a government, uh, let's say movement. When you start like seeing that everyone is going in, in, in some direction, like, like right now, green direction. Uh, I was thinking, okay, it's the government, but you just said that it's between some, uh, I don't know, regulator companies and the smelters or the big companies that start working on this, how this works? Because for me, it's it's very interesting. So how how you start working with the regulations? So the government was working with the companies to get the actual data with which to measure things. Okay. Right. And in order to do that, that process takes, you know, it could take 10, 15 years to get right. the data with which they're going to um, uh, make everybody do. Okay. Right. Um, and it did uh, because of early on, uh, some of the uh, regulations uh, that they, probably didn't enforce as well as tightly with some of the, some folks as they did others. So they didn't want to drive them totally out of business. Right. Um, they tended to uh, enforce newer plant, newer, mm-hmm. newer facilities. And, uh, and truthfully, they both sides got better at understanding what was required for the, you know, like for instance, in the company I worked for Alaris, we had a lot of uh, rotary furnaces and processed a lot of dross and a lot of different things. Well, some plants would pass the air compliance tests with the exact same equipment that other plants couldn't. Why? And they would would not pass the test. Mostly it was dioxin furons turned out to be most of this, you know, most of the problems. The easy right. problems uh, to deal with was, you know, the uh, the PM emissions. You can, you know, that's very obvious. It's visible. You can see that. Right. Uh, and getting the right equipment for that is, um, they just had to get better and better equipment to get the smaller and smaller particles. Um, and the HCL, um, that basically is comes from the flux. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they uh, had... Um, better treatment on the bag houses, lime, lime coated bag houses. And, you know, if 10 pounds of lime didn't work, you know, 40 pounds of lime worked, you know, I mean, it was that kind of rough. It was that kind of rough, okay. you know, it was, it was almost, um, it was a very rough period going through that. And then you could start, uh, people started applying science to it after that. You right. Know, you started taking a look at the test data. Um, and that's where I started getting into that in some of these plants where, you know, I would go help other plants within Alaris. Hey, they, how, why did they pass their test? And and the one in Tennessee, you know, 
the one in Tennessee couldn't do it. Well, it turns out there were some temperature control things that we had to do, and there were some other things that we had to do. So it's not just related to technology, it's also about process and good practices that you can just try to adjust your, let's say, uh, yeah, particle size or fumes or whatever it is to get into those uh, uh, regulations. So it's not just technology. Yeah, so some technologies, for instance, um, so a lot of European technology I found out later, uh, they, they tended to put a lot of afterburners on everything. Right. Yeah, because he okay. helps to clean so everything, right? fix everything. Well, then there's other issues, depending on what was going on. We even had afterburners that would run on um, chip uh, on certain types of chips. Right. We would put afterburners on that, and the dioxide would reform afterwards because of inadequate airflow and cooling after the fact. Yep. Um, and so... Um, There were some things that ha had to do, and and a lot of these processes sometimes were built bigger and better, and and um, and it it also depends on how dirty the material is. Right. Um, yeah. Did it have a lot of oil, or or is it just water? Moisture doesn't cause that problem, but oil does. Right. Right. But that's so, why we have right now like pre-treatment systems, right? to help those companies to clean that up, all sure. this scrap, and then put it into the furnace and create less, whatever it is, less contamination. And then some of the other European technology, but all, and I've learned it in the U.S., is um, there, there's another thing that, where you can actually use carbon injection or activated carbon that also right. will um, mitigate dioxins because it basically absorbs those Um, right. It absorbs the ingredients that makes the dioxins. And you use is, this 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 carbon active on the backhouses, right? Is is, is is the most common place. So now let's talk about uh, landfills because I think in Europe it's very complicated to have a landfill. It's very expensive, so people prefer to go with the technology and high efficiencies instead of create a lot of, let's say, byproduct like dross or salt cake or whatever it is that is coming out of from the melting process. But here in the United States, it's a little bit different. I know we have big landfills, but also we are having a different regulation that will take the industry in something different direction, right? How are you seeing this? So I, actually, that's kind of interesting. So in the U.S., it's always been dollar-driven or price-driven, okay? Right. And there, and because U.S. has a lot of empty land, you know, compared yeah. to Europe, okay, right. they actually have always had a lot of landfills, okay? And then they did. The, the, there's been some technology around the landfills to contain, you know, contained elements for, so that they don't get into the water and all that. So sometimes you have to use special landfills for special byproducts or product. Aluminum oh, really? is one of them. Yeah, so aluminum is one of those. Aluminum waste is one of those special byproducts that has to go to a special landfill, not a standard landfill. Okay. okay. And so what's happened over the years um. So in the 2000s, landfills, it was cheaper to send. It still is cheaper to send it to the landfill 
Okay. But landfills now are getting built with a little bit, they're more costly. And the transportation now to those special landfills because of the price right. of gas. So what's happening now is sometimes people will load trains and ship it out to the West. Okay. okay. Well, that's expensive because you got to ship it to somewhere, cross load it. And then you got to, I mean, so that price is now driving the fact that perhaps we should be doing more like the Europeans were the Europeans. You guys just, you just plain banned it from your landfill. And so what you did is <laughs> yeah. you forced the industry to come up with a, a process to clean up that right. byproduct. Right. So, I, that, but this, this is very interesting because I was thinking, okay, landfills is, is going away because people wants to have uh, better recoveries out of the aluminum, but also try to reduce the CO2 emissions and not to use so many land in order to, you know, keep everything more green. But so do you think they are, the, the, the United States is using this high cost on transport or in whatever it is to force the industry to go in certain direction? There, again, there it's, uh, we're market-driven. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so to give a perspective of that market, you know, in the 2000s, that landfill, sent it to the landfill and dumping it, you know, that was two, three, two, three cents a pound, maybe four. Right. Of the total processing price that 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 you would if you were going to use a processor to recover your aluminum for you. Right. Okay. Well, now that's literally doubled. Okay. So that's a much bigger number. You know, it's right. a nickel or a dime. Okay. Now process so what's happening is now people are starting to look at, okay, how can I not do that but they also want to they're looking for processes to clean this up that don't do two things one they the problem is if you clean it up with water then you got a water problem right okay because you can dissolve you can dissolve the bad stuff well then that goes somewhere and then you got to figure out how to take care of that right okay and then so um the other process is they're trying to because of fuel and the CO2 and the emphasis on that for global warming and all that kind of thing, there's a real strong push not to not to burn it, you know, not to not to right. use energy, not to use gas energy to process, you know, to process cleaning up this material. And so, again, there's been processes over the years, and and um, actually, I'm I'm, you know, they. I worked on one that was called a plasma process that, you know, hmm. back in the, in the 2000, um, it was only partially, it was partially viable. We, we lost money because we couldn't really <laughs> sell the byproduct. Right. I mean, we, okay. Well, part of the, part of the deal is, is you want to sell the byproduct and make some money as well. Right. And we couldn't. Okay. Right. But how um, is is this plasma that process was two, working? That was twenty years ago. So there's been two or three innovations of that. That now some of that is now viable. Some of those now it's not in high volume, but uh -huh. some of those processes similar to what we used twenty years ago, 
mm-hmm. is viable and is targeting, you know, maybe the byproducts going into cement or the byproduct, you know, that not necessarily for roads, but it might be for non-important, you know, like a driveway, it's things that might not have right, to carry right. as big a load. Right, right, because what you what okay. you have a, a by uh, as a byproduct out of these processes is like something that you can use into the cement industry, right? Right, but we just haven't developed it as well as, and that's what's difficult in the U.S. because it's market driven. So right. if you go to some, if you go into Europe, or they they just they force you into it, right? <laughs> okay, and, and but then they also force that other market to take it as well to try it and so it's easier to get people to try it because yeah because they close the loop they're helping uh, they're helping everybody right and and about this plasma process because it's the first time that I'm hearing about this to to clean this type of uh product so how it works because for me is i mean if you want to create less uh let's say byproduct out of uh your melting process you have a lot of different techniques and technology and clean first and then try to understand the technology related to the scrap, right? But this plasma process, how, how it works? Um, it's very similar. Uh, it's kind of, you know, the, like, like a lot of burners, they want air fuel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then air gas. Then they went air oxygen. So that's an oxy fuel burner. Okay. Okay. A plasma yeah. burner is an oxy fuel burner with uh, mm. with some electrical charge in there to right. to get some extra energy in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's a hotter flame, a hotter. Yep. Uh, and the problems with there are problems with creating more efficient and hotter flames because then you can burn out refractory you can uh, burn right. up the product i mean there's a lot of i mean so getting that control um is what makes things a little bit more difficult and so right. you know like the oxyfuel systems again oxyfuel systems of the 90s were a problem well oxyfuel systems of the 2010s and 20s are like i mean that's the standard that's the it gold is. standard it is so- okay we, so, we I mean, see it's just plasma. they have better controls and develop better controls on that equipment so you no longer have those problems that you had back when you first invented them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like everything at the beginning. Everything is sounds crazy, but then 10, 10, 10, 10 20 years after is the standard. And now everyone is using that, right? Right. And so that's kind of the... that's. That's where things have evolved in the aluminum industry on the recycling side. Right. And so there's gonna, there has been some processes to clean up the, you know, clean up the salt cake and whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, the first couple ones out of the chute, out of Valeris and a couple of the other ones, they, uh, they worked pretty good. Well, I mean, the next round's going to work even better, you know? And so people are going to start putting that out there some more. Right. But uh, there, there, there are some issues with some of those. And so as they create the next improvement, they solve some of those, some of those issues. Right. Um, what we can. So you expect. were asking about me. So I evolved. I was right. really primarily a process person. Mm-hmm. I ran plants. 
I did the technology kind of searches for improved processes for plants. And then actually towards the end of the, uh, towards between, you know, in the, in the early 2000s, when I worked for Alaris, I literally did a lot of the air compliance stuff because we were trying to learn along with the US EPA to what's the best way to be able to do this. Okay. And that's where we learned a lot about, I did some, uh, um six sigma testing on carbon and how much carbon you could use and how you could mitigate dioxins we did that at a couple of plants Hmm. um versus you know building cooler you know we had there there were other ways to to solve it you could build coolers you could uh you could have so there were other ways to try to solve that problem but it turned out carbon was one of the the quick fixes that you could use at any time and then and then uh, when I, I went on my own in 2009, when everything, you know, I was nearing the end of my career and uh, um, and we had a downturn in, in the industry and I hung out my shingle and it turns out there's uh, the actually the aluminum plants that were going away right. in the 90s. Well, now they're all coming back in the United States, right. yeah. small plants and and they need help educating the new new people that are running them you know the new engineers or the new managers or the the folks that are do that and um and so that's been my business the last 10 years um and there's and always getting better and better needs somebody needs you know I've, I've probably fixed uh 20 plants on air compliance and and helped uh, probably another eight or ten on productivity issues Right. And how, uh, what we can expect related to the environmental regulations for the next five to 10 years? What do you think is going to be the future where we are um, going I, right now? I, th- I think you were the questions you were asking. I think right now, uh, I think a lot of folks have pretty good handle on what it's going to take to do the air compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, you know, some of the folks, uh, uh, water's. Con- becoming a bigger issue especially plants that do yeah. a lot of water cooling right um i don't work with a lot of those plants but i have colleagues that do and there's a lot more thinking goes into the water now than there used to be right um just because um it used to be you could be on a a, a big lake or you could be on a, a big waterway like messina was on a big waterway and we had we just used once through cooling and the the water would come from the you know, the St. Lawrence Seaway go in through our, go <laughs> directly into the cooling and then uh, right. we, we clean it up and put it right back in the water and away it goes. But that's just not, that's just not what, no. not, that's just not what's happening anymore. So between the water and, and the landfills are there, that tech, um, between the higher cost of fuel, you know, the higher cost for transportation Right. And the landfills um not as available because there used to be quite a few in the east. Now you have to do double transport and all that kind of stuff for the special landfills. Um, I think that's gonna be driving the more waste or aluminum waste recovery mm-hmm. specialties or processes. That's gonna be the next big thing over the next 10 years. Right. Um, so anybody that can come up with a process that 
if you could cut your your byproduct waste by 50% or or 70% because they're going to process it into some other mm -hmm. product right um and you you literally give your you give your waste to them or you might have to even pay for the transportation to go to their place but then you don't have to um deal with the legacy of uh of uh, get getting it there those folks those folks are going to process and make some money on it so right. i see more of that happening yeah i'm totally agree and just to 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 get into the the final let's say um wait or, or the way to end this this episode what a, a, a guy like you that have a lot of experience and being from the primary to the secondary and then to the environmental regulations and helping a lot of different companies to understand how they can improve this type of, uh, let's say, important subjects. What are those tips that you can give to those uh, industry or the aluminum industry in order to move into that direction right now? Um, You know, again, uh, Working with the engineers, hiring some young engineers, and having them look at the processes to to try to improve the process, both in energy. So that's going to be saving, you know, the CO two and all that kind of right. stuff. So that's going to uh, uh, so investing in that in that arena and investing on um, waste re reduction mm -hmm. and. Um, and being able to measure it. So the big thing of that engineering brings to that is, you know, it's usually something on the side. If you know, you know, being able to measure it and ha help people to measure it and then looking for new processes, um, that's where they, they, they need to try to get some more focus. And it's, you can use some of the folks like me, but Sometimes you got to do your homegrown and just bring up the young engineers and bring up right. some of those guys to try to make those improvements there. And then, again, there has to be a sharing process because um, all they're exposed to is that plant. Mm -hmm. So you have to get them out to other uh, other other venues where they have the like American Foundries Association or Aluminum Association or, or equipment equipment associations where you guys go and and show right. show your equipment where they they can just meet with those folks where they can see what's going on there right so at the end will be a balance between good practices like uh clean your scrap make measurement to understand where you are but also have the young engineers to understand or help them to understand how they can improve the process the facility but also a balance between that and new technologies that can help them to have a better process better recoveries less byproducts and everything right something like that yes perfect well, thank Bruce. you so much Julio. no thank you for making time i mean you're a very busy guy and having you here with your experience is just amazing so thank you so much for being here with us and hopefully we will have more than this opportunity to keep going and keep working on the industry.